Well, in just a couple weeks, you're going to hear a lot of talk about love because of the commercial holiday of Valentine's Day. And my guess is what you're going to hear is very different from what's in the Bible, for the most part. Um, so I want to talk about love. I want to talk about our first love. There's a lot of instruction in the Bible on how to live a godly lifestyle, how to parent, how to build a solid marriage, how to work with others. But what about the church? What about the local body of believers? What can we glean from biblical instruction on this topic? Well, if we look at the book of Ephesians, we will find out. Like some of the letters there, Paul writes to the different churches. And so this was a letter that he wrote to the Ephesians church. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, says Paul, but Paul is introducing himself. Now I want you to notice how different his introduction is to the way that most people introduce themselves today. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. See, first of all, Paul, notice how he begins this letter. A letter in the, in the New Testament is often called an epistle. But notice how he begins it by saying that his calling or his position of apostle was not made by his personal assent or because of his efforts. He was made an apostle of Jesus by the will of God. It's the complete opposite of the way that most people introduce themselves to others nowadays. Usually one shares all their accolades, all their accomplishments, all their expertise to hopefully gain some respect from a new audience. But Paul basically says this, My position and the favor I have received has nothing to do with me. It was completely done by God. What this does for Paul is it keeps him humble. His pride does not rise up and get in the way. I don't know about you, but that's a speak that I'd like to listen to. I'd be really be paying attention to his words. So Paul writes this letter to the Ephesian church, a body of believers that is very close to his heart because of their great faith and their love for Jesus. And you're going to see this in the, uh, the Scriptures that we read. So down in uh, Ephesians 1, verse 15, 15 and 16, Paul writes, Therefore I also, after I heard your faith, in the Lord Jesus, and your love for all the saints, that's all the believers, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. What a commendation. This is a body of believers that is really in God's will and making an impact for His kingdom. Yet Paul is not content with their works and and what they've just done so far. And so he continues to pray that they would continue to grow and keep growing in their walks with God. Look at verse 17. He prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. See, Paul prays for more. That their hunger would continue to grow. That in their seeking they would receive more than just what God reveals at the surface, but that they would truly get deep revelation from God. Now reading the Bible can give us a great knowledge of God, but that's not enough. For many who read the Bible only get at God at a surface or face value. But being led by the Spirit as we read the Bible is how we get wisdom and revelation to truly know God personally, like He's speaking directly to you. 
Reading the Word unlocks the door and gets us in the house. But Spirit-led reading and meditating on the Word takes us deep into every room and every hallway and closet and storage space where all the special treasures are held. So Paul goes on to pray for the church at Ephesus. Again, hoping to build on their already strong faith. Ephesians uh, verse 18. He prays that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His mighty power. See, in inviting the Holy Spirit into our reading of the Word and into the revelation of our prayer time, as Paul is praying for here, it does amazing things. Reading the Word on our own can teach us about understanding God, but only the Spirit can open our eyes and enlighten our understanding about His all-encompassing truth. We can read about His calling, but only the Spirit can give us the personal hope of His calling so that it burns in us too. We can study all about God's glory, but only the Spirit can truly show us and reveal to us the riches of His glory. These are not monetary riches. These are the things that He bestows upon us when we seek Him earnestly. And as we go through the Scriptures, we're reminded of the power that God exercised for the people of great faith in the Bible. But the Holy Spirit lets us experience the exceeding greatness of His power firsthand when we believe. And so here Paul prays all of this for this church that is already deeply committed to God. Wow. What a prayer. And what love is surely evident, not only from Paul for the Ephesians, but more importantly, what great love from the Ephesians for God. One could only hope that God would look at us, our church, with the same glowing remarks as He expounded on with the Ephesian church. Now, given the foundation in Christ Jesus that was already laid at this church in Ephesus, Paul goes on to build each new level throughout the book of Ephesians. In fact, the letter to the Ephesians is like no other in the Bible. Ephesians has been called the Alps of the New Testament, the Grand Canyon of Scripture, because of the majesty of Christ that is revealed here in the book of the Bible. This letter or epistle is written to add extraordinary depth of the magnificence of Jesus. In chapter 1, these are not verses up here, but just a summary. In chapter 1, He is the Redeemer. The one in whom and by whom history will ultimately be consummated. And He is the resurrected Lord who not only has risen over death and hell, but who reigns as King, pouring His life through His body, which is the church. The present expression of Jesus in the earth. In chapter 2, He is the peacemaker who has reconciled man to God and who makes possible reconciliation of man to man. And He is the chief cornerstone of the new temple consisting of His own people to be indwelt by God Himself. In chapter 3, Jesus is the treasure in whom life's unsearchable riches are found. He is the indweller of human hearts securing us in the love of of God. You see, even by your best efforts, you can't love God in your own strength. It's Jesus and the Spirit working through you that allows you to secure that love. In chapter 4, Jesus is the giver of ministry gifts to the church. And He is the victor who has broken hell's ability to keep humankind captive. 
In chapter 5, he is the model husband, unselfishly giving himself to enhance his bride, which is his church. In chapter 6, he is the Lord mighty in battle, the resource of strength for his own as they arm themselves for spiritual warfare. However, before we get on with the accolades about how great the Ephesian church is, something happened in this church as time passed. They didn't lose their salvation. And they didn't abandon God, nor did they stop their works of blessing others. Yet something is very different the next time we hear about the Ephesians church. Do you know where it is where we hear about the the church at Ephesus? We hear about the church about 10 to 20 years later in the book of Revelation. The church at Ephesus, the church that was so close to Paul's heart, this model example of a church, is the first church addressed in the book of Revelation. And if you know about the seven churches that these letters were written to in the book of Revelation, these are warnings for us to be careful that we don't go that way. And it's not about what church represents us. They're warnings that all of us have have a tendency to slip into if we don't keep on pressing in close to God. So let me take you to Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. It says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus, write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, verse 2, I know your works and your labor and your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. Again, we see that they are still following after God, helping many in the kingdom. Verse 3, And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. All right. You're probably thinking, what are you talking about, Pastor? Look at their fruit. This is a hard-working church devoted to the ministry of the Gospel, standing on truth, speaking out against false apostles, laboring in the kingdom with great patience and perseverance. What's wrong with that? Nothing is wrong with that if you stop there and only look at the surface. Revelations 2, verse 4 says, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. What does that mean, really? Doesn't everybody kind of lose the excitement and the fire after a while? Isn't that just a natural part of our Christian walk? After all, this church is still doing all the right things. Well, God does see their fruits. But He's also noticed that they're lacking in the most important area. They have left their first love. But then we take a look at the severity of this consequence. Verse 5, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. You see, we can be bearing great fruit for God, but if we do not have the fullness of the very first and greatest fruit, which is love, we have nothing. We see this teaching all through Scripture. It's the theme that goes through Scripture. Recall these verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love verse. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. It doesn't matter what I say or how I say it. If it's not birthed out of love, it means nothing. 
Verse 2, And though I have the gift of prophecy and can understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove the mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. None of the things that we do for God mean anything if it's not based out of love. Verse 3, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. You see, love surpasses all other gifts. It is the basis for all that God does. Before I go to this next slide, don't click it yet. My next verse is John 3.16. Does anybody know that by heart? You want to share it? For God so loved the world, whoever believed in Him should not perish, but have everlasting or eternal life. Amen. Amen, right? That's, that's engraved in our hearts, right? Do, do you know how that verse begins? For God so loved the world that He did all those things. He allowed Jesus to go those things because of love. Not just to fulfill the law, but it was out of love. Everything was, is birthed out of love. The sacrifice that Jesus made for mankind was given out of love for us. We see this again in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's not, love is not just a part of the list. It's the first one on the list. It's the first fruit. The first fruit is love. And if you read the whole Bible, we know that we may enjoy the fruits of our labor, but the first fruits have a special meaning and a special purpose. Exodus 23.19 says this, The first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. The first fruits of our love must be given to God. We don't just love everyone else and then give our whatever's left over to God. There's too many people who get this wrong if they're completely honest with themselves. If you are completely honest, where is your first love? How do we make sure that we don't follow in the same steps as the Ephesians and leave our first love? How do we even know if we've already slipped into that place ourselves? Well, one of the greatest ways to tell that we have left our first love is by measuring our ministry to others by how much is being accomplished instead of how great our love for God is. Do you remember Jesus' last words before He ascended into heaven after His resurrection? It's in Matthew 28, 19-20. He said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen? Well, the church at Ephesus got the first part right. And a lot of churches get the first part right. They've done well in the discipling department. But it's the second part where many good churches start to lag. It's the part where we are to observe all things that He has commanded us. God expects us to know His Word. He expects us to study His Word, all of it, not just the parts we like. He expects us to ask the Holy Spirit to teach us how to understand the Word and how to apply His commands to our lives. 
Some things are learned easier than others, and how many know that some things take a whole lifetime to capture? Right? We are all growing. And knowing this, Jesus sums up the most important of the commandments to make it clear for us. Some people won't read the Bible because they say it's too difficult to understand, but Jesus, His whole ministry was to make it as simple as possible for us. Matthew 22, 35 and 38, maybe you're familiar with this verse. One of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question, testing Him, and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. You see, it's all about our love for God. God must be in the forefront of our minds in all we do. He must be the driving force for all we set out to do. We should be wanting to spend time with Him every day so that God can speak directly to us. There should be nothing else that demands our attention greater than God. Yes, there's other things in our lives and other obligations, but nothing should demand our attention greater than God. No person, no TV show, no cell phone app, no internet site, no video game, no activity that we are more devoted to more than thinking about and meditating and reading about and praying to God. If you're truly honest, what drives you? How do you spend the bulk of your free time? How do you wind down after a long day of work or school or a long activity? Do you have an insatiable hunger for God that must be filled every day, many times a day? You might say, Pastor, you're being too tough on us. Remember the, the, the church at Ephesus. This was a church that was doing all the right things. And if I just say, I'm just going to keep patting ourselves in the back so we feel good, it doesn't do any of us any good. We need to keep stoking the fire in our hearts and keep burning brighter for God, awaiting His coming. Amen? Even though there are other things that we do, there should be a natural connection to God even while we are working and playing and talking. When our love for Him is red hot and growing, then through, through all that we do, there will be a natural outpouring of God into the world. Many people don't go out and evangelize because they don't know what to say instead of just saying, I'm going to be a reflection of God wherever I go and it's naturally going to come out of me and the world's going to know that Jesus sent me, that sent us into the world. There should be a natural outpouring of the Spirit flowing through us into the world. You know that wherever we walk, we leave a footprint. This is usually the clearest evidence that we leave behind. It not only shows where we have been, but it also shows where we're going if someone's following those tracks. The reason why our footprints are so important is that it's how many people find help when they're lost by following someone else's tracks or footprints. People may remember bits and pieces of the time that you spend with them. But the most significant thing that we can leave with them is our footprints of God's love flowing back and forth between us and God and to them so that they can follow these tracks to God themselves. 
When we lead with God's love, His love is what is left behind. Not just the memory of what we did. It is the footprints of love for God that supernaturally lead people out of despair, out of darkness, and back home to Him. When our love for God is not as great as our ministry to Him, it might not be evident in our actions, but it's clear in our footprints that we leave behind. Because people will still follow footprints when they're lost. But if we leave tracks that have more of us in the footprints than God, then people will start following after us instead of God. That's how some of these churches nowadays get off track. As they start in a, in, a, in a love for God and they start to rise up and they get big and they get all this attention and pride rises up because it rises up in all of us. And they start to get people leading them, leading, leading to themselves. Start to get people coming to them and you've got to come to this church. You've got to see this person. No! Our footprints got to go to God, not us. Footprints should always lead to God. If we are not careful, we encourage people for following Footprints that lead to us. Why? Because it makes us feel good. We should not make people dependent upon us or upon the church and its ministries. We need to lead people to become dependent on Jesus Christ alone. The only way that we can make this happen is by leaving Jesus' footprints, by making sure we love, we love God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. By making sure we measure our growth and our success and our impact on the world by how great our love is for Him. This has to be our focus. It's not about the numbers. It's not about the ministries. It's not about how big we get. It's about how great and how deep our love is for God. A different perspective forces us to get puffed up with a focus on us and our accomplishments even if we talk about it in the light of Jesus. Or we focus on others and bring condemnation to them because of their actions, instead of just loving God and focusing on Him and leading people to Him so that God can rescue them, so that God can deliver them, so that God can save them and He can change their minds and their hearts and their plans and their actions. What good does it do if we stand in judgment and judge our fellow brother and sister instead of being a representation of God's love so that they can come to God and God can untangle that part in their lives? The greatest way to leave your footprints for someone who is struggling is just to love God and not to judge others. But to pray for them. Jesus tells us to pray for our enemies. Pray for those who hurt us. Pray for what we don't understand. And as we do that, we give a clear path to God. How many know that we judge ourselves bad enough? We don't need help from others. Yeah? <laughs> and so we get out of the way and we love God. We share His Word. We pray for them. And there's going to be people that we disagree with or don't get along with. But our job is to love them and to have them see that we love God. Leading footprints that go right to God. We have to all return to our first love where love is a glowing fire that brings warmth to all who behold His presence. We need to do more than just come to God. We need to embrace Him with a hunger to truly know Him, with a longing for our Heavenly Father's heart, with a time of seeking 
that it's not based on obligation or coercion, but a yearning that is rooted deeply and completely in our love for Him. Let's not just assume that we are like the church at Ephesus based on their works and their diligence and their ministries. If we need to repent, let's not wait another moment. Let's turn to God now and reconnect our love for Him. Let's choose to put Him back in first place, not just by our words, but how we act, daily devoted to God. Let's all invite the Holy Spirit to lead us in receiving the same revelation that Paul prayed for for the Ephesians. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads now, whether you close your eyes or keep them open, it matters not. But I want to pray the same prayer for you that Paul prayed for the Ephesians and ask the Holy Spirit to help us all return to our first love. It's taken from Ephesians 1, 17-23. Lord God, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His mighty power, which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And He put all things under His feet and gave Him to be head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for the power of Your Word. I thank You for the power of Your Spirit that brings a conviction upon us not to shame us, but to just refocus us, to get us focused on You. We long to grow closer to You. We long to truly understand Your definition of love. And where we have fallen, where we have messed up, where we have put others in places above You, forgive us, God. We repent, we come to You, and we know that You are gracious to forgive us when we lay these things down and are honest with You. Our desire is to seek after You as we return to our first love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.